following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org. Welcome to Life Matters. I'm your host, Brendan O'Connell. Well, we have a very special guest today who's been involved in the pro-life movement uh, uh, almost since uh, Adam and Eve, <laughs> James Bach, Jr. And um, I had heard a webinar that he gave to Massachusetts Citizens for Life, which was very informative, and uh, on the best ways to advocate for the unborn. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at maybe the FACE Act, if we can fit it in, and also, uh, Notre Dame has a newspaper called the Irish Rover, and uh, that's another interesting case that this gentleman's been involved in. Well, welcome, James Bob. Thank you. Pleasure to be on. Um, uh, James, uh, what, are, what are the best ways to advocate for the uh, unborn and given, and maybe you could tell us uh, what the other side, the, the, what we're up against as pro-lifers. What are some of the hurdles that we have to uh, or deal with uh, in the right to life movement? Well, starting with the last one first, uh, it's an incredible challenge that we are facing post uh, Dobbs uh, when Roe v. Wade was overturned. Uh, you know, for 50 years, we've concentrated on overturning Roe v. Wade. And as we, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the time during that period, we were thinking, well, we just go back to where we were, you know, in 73 in mm -hmm. terms of laws and the challenges we faced. Well, 50 years, uh, a lot of things have changed and uh, many of them uh, making it more difficult for us to restore legal protection to the unborn. Uh, I would start with, uh, and there are several, uh, but I would start with uh, the radical Democrat prosecutors, uh, over a hundred of them, probably more around the country uh, who, uh, are in large urban centers or, or college towns who have absolutely have already announced uh, that they will refuse to enforce any abortion laws protecting the unborn. So here in Indiana, for instance, we have a law on the books that, uh, you know, has only limited exceptions uh, to protecting the unborn. Uh, but the Indianapolis prosecutor says, I don't care. I'm in charge. I'm not going to prosecute any uh, laws that protect the unborn. Uh, so these prosecutors not only are not enforcing abortion laws and not enforcing petty theft laws or, or cooperating with ICE or, or sleeping on the sidewalk. I mean, they're leading the destruction of these urban centers in which they so many Democrats live, but uh, that's their ideology. That's where they are. So in Indiana, uh, you know, it, uh, that means we have abortion on demand throughout pregnancy uh, because the Indianapolis prosecutor uh, will not enforce Indiana abortion law. Wow. And what about uh, the uh, 
You mentioned the millionaires and billionaires. What, what do they have to do with it? Well, they, what they have to do with it is they're opening their pocketbooks to uh, fund uh, the abortion rights movement in, in ways that are uh, unparalleled, never existed in the past, certainly didn't exist prior to 1973. Uh, these, uh, and, and when you think about it, you can understand it to a certain extent. Uh, and that is there's two kind of features of these billionaires. Uh, one of them is they're not religious, so they have no religious basis for respecting life or protecting life. But the other is their lifestyle. Uh, they're used to being very independent and in control of their life. Well, there's nothing, nothing more in, uh, inconvenient if not uh, losing control of their life, their, their wife becoming pregnant, or God forbid, their mistress, or some shack up or hookup that they engaged in getting pregnant. Uh, and so, uh, you know, look at uh, Hunter, Hunter Biden. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they see abortion as protecting their lifestyle, and they're willing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars uh, to do that. Uh, we've never faced that in the past. And, and what about uh, trafficking of women being trafficked? How, is that that's something that wasn't as uh, prevalent back in 1973 as it is now? Well, as, as abortion laws were uh, in some states uh, liberalized so that they were not protective for the unborn, uh, such as in New York and uh, California and several others. I mean, that was a problem. Uh, of trafficking in women for illegal abortions. Uh, however, we had the Comstock Act being enforced, which is still law, uh, but the Biden administration refuses to enforce it. Uh, uh, you know, and so we we don't have any uh, current laws that really are effective in dealing with the problem of interstate transport, both of women, but also of chemical abortion drugs uh, that. Uh, make it much more difficult for a state law to be effective in protecting the unborn in their particular state. And uh, could you explain uh, the aspects of the Comstock law, which I believe was in the made in the mid 1800s? Uh, why would why is that important? And uh, do we if we change that, will things change significantly? Well, the Comstock law was passed to basically protect state laws. Uh, that uh, on several issues, but one of which was to protect state laws that protected the unborn. I mean, in the early 1800s, uh, the American Medical Association, as it began its uh, creation and foundation, launched the ph Physicians' Crusade Against Abortion to make abortion illegal throughout uh, the country, uh, state by state, uh, because they, for the first time, science discovered and realized that the unborn, uh, they, they, well, they discovered th cell theory, you know, that that's how uh, the unborn grew from a single cell uh, to a full human being. Uh, and, uh, and so therefore they realized that from conception, the unborn was an individual member of the species homo sapien, in other words, a living human being. Mm -hmm. and uh, therefore was entitled to protection. And part of that was the Comstock Act, which uh, prohibited the interstate transport of, uh, of any device or drug that would be used to perform an abortion. 
and so uh, that's still on the books. However, the Biden administration and its consistent lawless uh, activities has said, uh, ordered uh, all state, all district attorneys not to enforce the, the, uh, this provision of the Comstock Act. Uh, so that federal law has been suspended by uh, government fiat, totally illegal, but uh, they do a lot of the illegal things. Mm -hmm. And uh, here in Massachusetts, uh, it used to be when Roe v. Wade came down, the people that were uh, in the Democrat Party were the pro-life party. And now that's totally flipped. And now the Democrats in Massachusetts are the pro-abortion party. Uh, is that the case uh, around the country? And um, what, what, what do you make of the Democratic Party uh, not helping the pro-life people? Well, it's a very disturbing development. I mean, as early as uh, 2010, uh, during the Obama administration, when the vote was on Obamacare, uh, there were 63 Democrat votes uh, for a Obamacare shall not fund abortion provision that was actually adopted in the House. Uh, well, now there is one, one vote for that proposition among the Democrats. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the uh, you know, there are multiple reasons why the Democrat Party has been taken over by the left, but, but part of it is the general problem of the radicalization of the Democrat Party, uh, but, you know, they have gone from liberal uh, to left to socialist and pushing even farther uh, and in the process have totally abandoned, you know, democracy, freedom, free speech uh, in favor of government, government regulation, government intrusion in your lives, weaponizing uh, the government in order to investigate their, uh, their alleged political enemies. So, uh, we have a really hardcore left-wing Democrat party now that, uh, you know, you only see in, you know, socialist and communist countries, uh, which we, uh, you know, there's many things we're suffering from, and one of them is their radical pro-abortion agenda. And the last thing I wanted to ask you about in this regard was the mainstream media. Why are they so pro-abortion? Uh, is it... You know, it, it's part of, you know, uh, part of this, of course, is that it's a culture war. In other words, there's two cultures that are existing somewhat side by side, but actually geographically completely different places. Uh, one is this uh, more, much more, you know, non-religious, hedonistic, uh, anything goes uh, type of uh, culture that has embraced socialism and government uh, control uh, of everyone's lives as their model. Uh, and those are in large uh, urban areas and in uh, uh, college towns, and that's the Democrat Party of today. Uh, the, other, the other is the Republican Party, which finds its roots now in uh, suburbs and exurbs and uh, rural areas and small towns. Uh, and uh, like in Indiana, uh, a third of the members of the House uh, Democrat caucus used to be conservative uh, and pro-life people, most of them from uh, rural, the vast majority from rural areas, a lot of them in southern Indiana. They're all gone. All of those districts now are uh, have Republicans 
uh, as the party became more left wing, the the you know culturally conservative and uh, pro life people uh, abandoned uh, you know the Democrat Party uh, that left uh, you know th those uh, state reps and state senators to to move out of the Democrat Party also. So uh, we we just have a cultural divide uh, where you know large urban centers you know 80 percent Democrat. Uh, rural areas are 80% Republican, and uh, uh, you know, and it's really difficult to find common ground. It's kind of a di just distressing development that's affecting all our politics. Well, how how do we um, what what can we do as pro-lifers then? Uh, for instance, a lot of politicians say, "Don't let me walk the plank." What what do we do to uh, buoy these uh, Republican? pro-lifers or Democrat pro-lifers? Is there something we can do? Well, yes. I think, uh, uh, I think one of the things is a problem of our own making because we haven't yet come to grips with the fact that while our ideal is life of the mother exception only, uh, that uh, along with a life of the mother only exception uh, enjoys only 10% support. And you can't you can't, I mean, it's, it's uh, untenable uh, to support a, uh, a, a, a policy that only has 10% support in a democracy. Now, if you add to that uh, rape and incest with proper reporting, so that it's limited to those very rare circumstances, uh, and medical necessity, you then get to like 70% support among the American people. And, and in the process, you've eliminated 95% of the abortions. You're down to what, uh, less than 5% of the abortions that were performed prior to Roe v. Wade being overturned. So uh, politics is the art of the possible. And, and what they are often referring to when they say, don't make us walk the plank, is don't make us vote on rape and incense. Mm -hmm. don't, make us, don't make us do that because it is so unpopular is that uh, that as pro-life as we are and want the policy to be, politics is the art of the possible. It's not church. It's not church doctrine. It is what are you capable of doing politically in an, in any given situation. And right now the reality is, uh, if we support laws with life of the mother, rape and incest, and medical necessity exceptions, we eliminate 95% of the abortions, and all the pro-life le legislators will embrace that change uh, rather than being repelled by what we're trying to do. And uh, that's just the reality uh, of the situation. Um, David Osteen, who was the uh, person that did a lot of uh, polling, um, he, I read an article by him in the past uh, couple of months where he said, uh, don't, uh, uh, we shouldn't uh, have like a 20-week ban, 15-week ban, 5-week ban, which is being discussed. Why has he taken that position, and do you, do you concur with that position? I totally concur, and that's been the position of National Right to Life for almost 50 years. And that is this reality. Uh, if you cut the abortion issue in terms of what abortions you uh, permit by gestation, 
you get as you lower it down, the ban the uh, the restriction becomes more popular. So a majority of the people of the United States would support a law that permits abortion prior to 12 weeks. The majority would support that law, all right? And so uh, the, the problem is, is that some 60 to 70%, some, some people even say 90% of abortions are performed prior to 12 weeks. So you get it, quote, down to 12 weeks, and you, admit you may be, you know, affected uh, or protected 10, 20, you know, 20% of the unborn from abortion. And you have now a popular law that will prevent you from moving it down even further. I mean, you get down to the heartbeat uh, provision, uh, uh, which is about six weeks. Still, there's some um, 50 or 60% of the abortions performed uh, before six weeks. So uh, the problem is, is that you're, you're in a death spiral. And that is your laws become... As you try to, you know, encompass and protect more babies, your 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 laws become unpopular, and you're unable to do that. Uh, and so, what you should focus on is the reasons, the justifications. I mean, we've never said, well, you can kill a person, you know, after they're sixty because they're old and useless. You know, no, uh, we never cut protecting human life based upon their age ever in our country, mm. nor should it. Uh, it should be the reason, is the reason justified uh, to do this? Mm -hmm. And that, and, and of course, that results in a law that uh, if, if, if it provides for life of mother, rape, incest, and medical necessity, that we protect 95% of the unborn baby. And yet so life- It's ridiculous. A ridiculous something that that if I were on the other side, I I would have you know years ago urged the pro life movement to to think about gestation, uh, not about reasons. And now we've heard it in many places. Mm -hmm. And um, do you think there should be civil penalties for illegal abortions? Yes, and and in fact, they're going to be the most effective. Now let me. Uh, say that again, they will be the most effective in protecting unborn life. Mm -hmm. uh, one reason I've already mentioned, the radical Democrat prosecutors that will not enforce abortion laws. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you don't have some other remedy or some other means to enforce criminal penalties, then, then you have no law at all. No law at all. Mm -hmm. As we, is a situation in Indiana right now we have no law at all because of the radical Democrat prosecutor in Indianapolis, and our law is only enforced by criminal penalties. Uh, civil penalties are really effective. Texas, you remember, prior to Roe v. Wade being overturned, adopted a heartbeat law with uh, only civil penalties. It never was adjoined, and the uh, abortion movement claimed to have basically abandoned Texas as far as performing abortion. So uh, that was a great example of the effectiveness of civil remedies, you know, lawsuits, injunctions, uh, seizing their property, uh, you know, having damage awards against them, uh, making them pay attorney's fees if they, you know, uh, engage in illegal abortions and you sue them. Uh, they, this is very effective. Now, I know Joe Shiloh, he had to fight uh, RICO laws 
Could we, the pro-life movement, use RICO laws against the pro-abortion uh, industry? Yes, and I propose that. National Right to Life has proposed a model law that's available on the website. That's kind of a smorgasbord of all the different kinds of provisions that, that an effective uh, law would have. And one of the provisions is to use RICO. In other words, what uh, fighting the, the mob, uh, organized crime, uh, we, we soon understood that, you know, prosecuting, you know, Joe Blow for murder, you know, putting him in jail, did nothing. Uh, somebody else just took that soldier's place and off they went, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only way to shut them down was to shut down the whole enterprise, uh, which means, in this case, uh, order that the abortion clinics be shut down, seize all their property and sell it, seize all their money in their bank accounts, and put it in the state coffers and put an injunction on everybody uh, involved that if they violate the injunction, the, a, a judge will throw them in jail uh, for uh, uh, committing illegal abortion. So uh, these are very effective laws and have done a tremendous work uh, in shutting down organized crime. We are facing a industry that is so similar, actually more powerful than organized crime. And uh, they have a network throughout the country. They are extremely well-funded. They have support by state governments and local governments, uh, by the media, by uh, Hollywood, by uh, universities, uh, and right now by the federal government. Uh, this is a tremendous challenge and we need all the tools available. I see. I'd like to talk also now a little bit about, uh, you had a, a successful case in, uh, at Notre Dame. What was that situation? Uh, I, I think it was a free speech case. It was a free speech case. Uh, Irish Rover is a student uh, uh, led uh, and uh, written, edited publication, independent of, in, of Notre Dame, that writes about what happens at Notre Dame and they're conservatives and want to preserve the Catholic tradition at Notre Dame. And uh, so there's a pro-abortion uh, sociology professor uh, that uh, has published widely uh, advocating abortion on demand throughout pregnancy, getting obviously she's trafficking in her Notre Dame credential and, and getting a lot of attention. So they truthfully reported in two articles. Uh, one is the poster she had uh, on her door, which said, you know, uh, 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 if you need help with abortion access, this is where you come to my office, uh, you know, and to get help for abortion access and information. And then she gave a speech to the young Democrats or college Democrats at Notre Dame, very truthful. Well, she sued her, sued her for defamation for of all things, uh, reporting on her public activity and saying that she is an advocate for abortion access. I thought she, you know, she was pretty proud of that. Uh, and of course, the whole purpose and point was to shut them up, to intimidate them, to cost them money, uh, to uh, prevent them from reporting uh, on her activities because she didn't like them because they're conservative and Catholic. Uh, so this is uh, a, it's a student newspaper, right? The Irish Rover at Notre Dame. Student newspaper. Uh huh. But, okay. So you yeah, represented uh, them. Uh, but completely private. And so she, you know, she sued, sued them for defamation to shut them up. 
Uh, I represent them, and we have a law in Indiana it's called the anti-slap law, which uh, means that when somebody like her uh, sues a uh, somebody for exercising their First Amendment rights, i.e. publishing articles in a newspaper, a classic example, uh, that you can force them right from the very beginning to demonstrate that they have a valid case. And if they don't, it's dismissed and attorney's fees are awarded. Uh, and so what happened was we filed that motion to dismiss the case. The judge agreed that she had a completely frivolous claim. There was no basis for a defamation claim against these students. And we have recently asked for 178000 in attorney's fees for her to pay for the attorney's fees for these students. So it's a great law that's very protective of free speech. And I've used it all over the country to protect people who have been sued by these sort of frivolous, reckless cases that are meant to shut people up. I see. Lastly, we've got a couple of minutes left. Uh, can you talk about the FACE Act? Uh, uh, because the Biden administration is throwing people in jail in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. Can you talk about that? And uh, can we eliminate it now that Dobbs is present? Or uh, is it not going to be eliminated? Well, the FACE Act was the uh, result of the Operation Rescue. Uh, that, that several a decade or so ago, number of people were involved in where they were committing illegal acts by trespassing and occupying abortion clinics and uh, and of course were being arrested for those trespasses etc and uh, one of the responses to that uh, has been the face act and that is an act to uh, that makes it a federal offense both civilly and criminally uh, for someone to interfere with access to health care including access to abortion it's a federal law that was passed to stop Operation Rescue. And it did stop Operation Rescue, 100%. And, but now it's being turned by a radical pro-abortion administration, the Biden administration, as they have weaponized the FBI, the DOJ, the FISA courts, everything you can imagine. They're now rep uh, weaponizing face to go uh, very aggressively against any pro-life activists that commits any offense, including trespass, in the proximity of an abortion clinic. Uh, and just the way they have, you know, sought to throw every, now, soon to be, everyone that was simply on the Capitol grounds uh, around January 6th, despicable invasion of the Capitol. I described it that way for a long time. It was a, it was a breaking and entering. But the people who were standing on the, uh, uh, you know, on the uh, on the grounds of the Capitol were not engaged in that, and now we hear they're going to go after them. Uh, they have weaponized the, our legal system, our justice system, uh, our police system in, in, in ways that uh, are terrifying uh, to anyone that loves democracy and freedom. Well, Jim, Bob, thank you so much for uh, coming on today and being our guest. Uh, really appreciate it. And I could ask a lot more questions, but unfortunately, time has come to an end. And hopefully I'll see you here in my travels in the near future. Thank you so much for coming on and explaining all that to us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
And folks, we hope you found today's show to be unique, informative, content-rich, truthful, and thought-provoking. Thanks for watching. I'm Brendan O'Connell, your friend for life. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org.